From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 242 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, John Sakari. John, how are you today? I am doing good. My voice is a little hoarse from a cruise. I came back with a little upper respiratory cold, not COVID, but thank you so much for having me. I love being here with you. Absolutely. And happy new year to everyone. We have been gone a long time. As you know, um, we ended our season early because Craig was expecting the um, birth of his son, who I um, we didn't know was a son at the time, although he slipped on the show. <laughs> At one point, if uh, people were listening to it, and I talked to him about it, I didn't say anything on the show, because I know they're trying to keep it a secret, but I talked about it afterwards. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I, when he was listening back, he realized he had let it slip and was hoping it would get, and he tried to cover it up. But of course, I had been saying um, it would either, I'd given them names, whether if it was a little boy, Kermit, if it was a little girl, Janice. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, it was a little boy, for those of you, if, if you didn't know. And and his name is not Kermit. Though he'll always be Kermit in my heart. But uh, And, and, and uh, Craig did give me permission to call him Kermit. But his name is Rory. <laughs> Rory Williams. And, of course, all the Doctor Who fans who listen to Connecting with Walt, their ears perked up. Because that is apparently a um, – I, I don't watch Doctor Who. Do you, John? I do not. But I should because everybody's telling me about it. Everybody's telling me about it. And apparently now there's a Disney connection with Doctor Who. They bought the rights oh to it or something, which means they're going to ruin it. But uh, <laughs> but um, but apparently that's like a companion or something to – it's a coincidence, though, Craig tells me, but he, but it is a companion or something to his favorite Doctor Who. So um, It could be Rory Kermit Williams. We should check his middle name. Oh, we should. You know, I asked him what the middle name was, and I don't remember. So, I'm sure uh, there's a Kermit, there's a Muppet thing somewhere yeah. for him. I'm sure. I'm sure there there has to be, or or it's or it's Rory Skywalker um, Williams or something, <laughs> you know. But um, but uh, anyway, but um, until it's funny, um, Craig is still taking time off from the show until he says until he gets into a routine and things like that. And I thought, well, it'll be eighteen years. <laughs> I, I always love young parents who say, well, until we get in a routine or until we say this and that, that, that was, that never happens. There will never be a day where there's a routine <laughs> as planned, not until they go off to college. And even then they still call you for something. 
So anyway, but I always think that's adorable. But um, but until until um, until such time as like Craig and Kylie sort of work out their schedules and things like that, um, um, John is filling in as, as co-host. So John, a, a lot of our listeners may not be familiar um, with you, and so why don't you can you do a little introduction of yourself? Yeah, I mean, I'm just a crazy Disney nut in a good way and refuse to go to the doctor to get therapy. I've always been this way. I grew up in Long Island, New York. My dad was, uh, I would say, you know, I think they called us middle class, but, you know, we just had a home. We never went on vacation. We just had a backyard. We played in the sprinkler. That was it. So at five years old, to be told you're getting on a plane, I think it was, I'm going to say Eastern, but it could have been Pan Am. My dad took us to the Magic Kingdom, and I remember being on the ferry boat and being on his shoulders. And I won't cry thinking about this, but I can easily. I would look over at the contemporary, uh, and he would say, you know, we're never going to afford to live there. We paid, I think, $20 or $18 a night for some, you know, red roof inn or something Mm -hmm. outside. But the most magical trip of my life, and I told my father at the age of either five or six, I'm going to grow up and move there. And I think it was about 35 when I was able to leave New York, buy a home in Florida and live there and basically just have access to these parks that I need in my life. It's my therapy. It's my comfort. It's my go-to. The parks are just my thing. That's wonderful. What what's your besides that being on your your father's shoulders on the ferry boat? Do you have another strong memory from that first trip? <sighs> you know, it's funny that that uh, being on his shoulders, and he's still with us, Dad. When he mm-hmm. isn't, one day that's going to freak me out to remember that. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, being in the Seven Seas Lagoon area is where I feel like I belong. Like that's my most comfortable, happy Mm -hmm. places. Being on the ferry boat, seeing the kingdom across the way, knowing what's coming, getting that prelude, and just being excited. I hate when people go for the first time and take the monorail. I want to yell, get off, get on the ferry boat for the first time. Uh, Just the way the Magic Kingdom welcomes you from the ferry boat, Mm -hmm. I think is important. Uh, That's why Walt wanted the big castle. So it would draw uh, you in and you'd see it. It did it for me. And the Haunted Mansion is my other happy place. There, uh, a quick story, not to bore the heck out of you, is me crying because I see this house. I see, hear the howling. And I, my brother wants to go on. He's 10 years older than me. He's fine with it. I'm freaking out. I don't want to go. And my father, who never, he was not the uh, disciplinarian. That was my mother. So if my father gets mad at me, gets down to my face and says, there's only, there's a big Italian guy now. There's only one thing you'll be scared of in this world, and that's me, not this house. <laughs> and I, he got me nervous that I was like, all right, you know, he never hit us. He's not going to hit me, but he, he wants me to be a man at five years old and, and face my fear and be, be, I'm being with him. Nothing's going to happen. I wind up going on the Haunted Mansion and loving it mm-hmm. and having to repeat it maybe three times right away. And at the time, it wasn't one price to just get into the park. I mean, it, it was you got in, but you had to buy tickets. Mm-hmm. So it was like I don't even know what an e ticket is, but I remember yeah. my. It was an e ticket. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I, I don't even. Do we know in 1977 how much they cost? Yeah, we um, we've done shows on it. Oh no, we've done it I for Disneyland. No, we've done it for Walt Disney World too. Yeah, we've we've talked about it. I absolutely remember overhearing my father say, "This kid's going to drive me broke. I should have never taken him in this house because now this this costs more than the hotel. This this going back and forth on this haunted mansion." But he loved. That I loved it. And at the end of the night, 
he took me back for, I'm going to cry, but he took me back and he said, you be the daddy this time and tell me where you want to go. And we were in Tomorrowland and I said, I want to go back to the Haunted Mansion. And we did it one last time, which was awesome because then I didn't return back for about 13 years Mm -hmm. to the Magic Kingdom. So I had to live with those memories for 13 years. I couldn't stop talking about the Haunted Mansion. You would have thrown me out of your house and wanted me to shut up about it. It's a wonderful attraction though. I love the Haunted Mansion at Magic Kingdom. So that's wonderful. What a great story. Well, I know I am delighted that you will, you will be um, helping out until Greg gets his uh, daddy legs. And, and returns. And, but Craig is still a part of the show. He um, remains behind the scenes as our executive producer, and he will be the one that uh, gets this up on um, iTunes and all the other Spotify and Stitcher and all the, all the places that I talk about at the very end of the show. So, John, welcome to Connecting with Walt. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. A new year means new dreams and new plans, which may be resolutions to improve the quality of our lives, our families' lives, catching up on tasks, and planning explorations with family and friends. We have invited our good friend, Disney historian and Arthur. Okay, well, there's my first stumble of the year, making it out of that, John, for Craig. <laughs> Let's start again here. A new year means new dreams and new plans, which may be resolutions to improve the quality of our lives, our families' lives, catching up on tasks, and planning explorations with family and friends. We've invited our good friend, Disney historian and author, Marcy Karika Smothers, to return and help us to plan some Disney adventures for this new year. Marcy is the author of a wonderful new book, 100 Disney Adventures of a Lifetime. Marcy, welcome back to Connecting with Walt. Well, thank you for having me back because it's always so fun to be with fellow enthusiasts. Oh, and that, that's what we have here, the Connecting with Walt. So, and not only do they love Disney history, they love planning things. They have their spreadsheets <laughs> and all of that when they're planning their trips and I know you are going to help us create new spreadsheets um, today. Now, Disney fans, like I was saying, love planning trips and adventures. So what inspired you to capture 100 Disney adventures in one book? Well, actually, what's not my idea. So let's go back to last uh, tw- summer of 21. And I had just finished Walt's Disneyland, A Walk in the Park with Walt Disney, purposely a paperback, but it's the same amount of words and it took me three years just like Eat Like Walt. And that was during the pandemic. It, most of it really, really a big push for that. And also the Walt Disney World book, uh, Recipes and Stories from the Most Magical Place on Earth, where I'm writing all sorts of history about Walt Disney World, which I have no institutional knowledge about growing up. And so it was a lot that getting those two books to print two weeks after they were printing in July, uh, not even that long, my editor and friend, Wendy Lefcon, texted me and said, can you have a conversation later today? Sure, let's see. So she called and she said, National Geographic wants to throw themselves into the 100th anniversary game. Okay, so they want to do a book. They have an idea, 100 Disney Adventures of a Lifetime. And I suggested you, you love to travel, you love Disney. You know, I, th- I think you're a perfect fit. And I thought you might want to, you know, me to suggest you. 
And I said, no, this is true. I was so tired. I couldn't imagine starting another book. Part of the reason, by the way, I also said no was because the timeline was eight months to do 70,000 word book. Because wow. so, so we're at we're, we're July 21 and they thought it was going to be printing by March or whatever. So I'm like, I can't even. But as time in this conversation went on, my mentor, surrogate grandfather, William T. Young, used to always say, take the cookies when they're passed. Meaning in the depression, that's where that expression came from. You never know when the next opportunity like this is going to come. You may not get a cookie from another. All right, all right, all right, all addition. So she said, great, I will introduce you to Alice and the Nat Geo editor tomorrow morning. Of course, they're on the East Coast. So I wake up and there is a letter of introduction. And Allison says, I've already chosen you. Here's the contract. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I just gave birth to two babies. I want to enjoy the babies I have now, you know. And so we talked and I just loved her. And I was just, I, okay, I get the concept. So that's really how... 100 Disney Adventures of a Lifetime started. I did help with the subtitle. Uh, we They had vetted briefly, uh, briefly saying they had vetted all people within the company from cruises to parks to movies, like asking what they thought were the things that should be included. And we started with that list, trimmed that, and we went on from there. And by the way, there's way more than 100. I think if you actually count, there's like one closer to 150 um, because of all the subcategories mm-hmm, and what's like mm-hmm. in, you know, with <laughs> so it's a lot. That's that's how the book came to be and how I came to write it. Actually, ended up with a year to do it, and it came out last October. And it's a absolutely delightful book. And this isn't just a book of lists where you go through and it's just one, two, three, four. And we've seen books like that. This for each adventure, you give a background a history of the adventure. And in many cases, you connect the adventure back to Walt. And it's all, and every adventure is accompanied by beautiful photographs. So in a lot of ways, this is a history book, again, about Walt. Well, Michael, you just make my heart sore saying that, you know, because you know me, we know us, everyone listening, (laughs) we're connecting with Walt, you know, we love Walt. And that was really important to me when I was in these initial discussions after when we were starting when and I taught Nat Geo by the way what blue sky was remember they're Nat Geo they're living in their incredibly smart impeccable academic yellow rectangle they didn't have a lot of Disney experience so when I was constantly referring back and then I said you know it's going to be celebrating the 100th anniversary which we're embarking on now of the Walt Disney Company we have to include Walt and I said I have this idea. I'd like to do a sub-series or entries, Adventures with Walt. All the places that you can connect with Walt, they may not be company-related, but they're very important. And for anybody that wants to learn more about the legacy of Walt and the things and the places that inspired him, we must include it. And they said, yeah, sure. That's many of the yeah, sure's I got, including (laughs) Joe Rohde, by the way. Because mm-hmm. man, I got this. The first person I thought of to write the introduction is what I consider Disney's ultimate adventurer. They didn't know who Joe was. To be fair, I mean they were just this is really early on, and I said he's perfect. But I thought there's no way Joe's going to do it because this is a light Marcy kind of book, and Joe is so smart and and erudite and intense, and his writing is really d- dense and detailed, and mine's kind of fluffy and light and you know whimsical. And, but then Joe Rody said yes. So yes, it was, <laughs> it was great. And in terms of your inquiry about the photographs, Michael, that's a 
great question because naturally being a National Geographic book, photographs were going to be first in, in a very, very important companion. And while in all my other books, including the Walt Disney World cookbook with recipes and stories, I chose the concept art or had a head that and choose the photographs. I mean, this is part of my storytelling. And in this case, there was no time. So while I was writing the text, you know, underneath Adrian, the photo editor, brilliant, he was choosing photos, also knew, you know, working with the archives and all the different places that you can go to, to have the photographs match the storytelling as best as possible. <laughs> so how much was Walt Disney's life an influence on the adventures you chose for the book? Did you look at Walt's life and then choose some of the adventures? Or was it sort of you chose adventures and then connected them back to Walt? Oh, and you used the phrase connect with Walt in one of them. And I, I took that personally as a homage to our show, Marcy. I just want you to know. Okay, well, and that's what you guys are <laughs> That's what I consider, you know, my, my work is connecting with Walt. So you're right for that. I want you to own that homage. Uh, so I think that it probably was the, the second way. So it's like the adventures were chosen because you have to be encompassing. You're trying to go worldwide across the company. Then I have my adventures with Walt entries and I got a, I have a lot of autonomy guys. I mean, a lot in terms of saying, I don't think this, I would substitute that. So yes, first definitely for sure. The adventure was chosen other than the adventures of Walt entries. And then I would weave it back. And if I could find a quote, if I could find a Walt story and we'll talk about these more as we go on, then I got extra excited because in every single instance, I was looking for some way to tie it. It can't all be about Walt. And as you know, we're going forward with the company, there's, you know, there's things that he would, you know, obviously have no knowledge about, but this is, again, I will repeat the hundredth anniversary of the Walt Disney company celebration. So yes, that was a forefront for me. And, but the adventures came first. Okay. And the adventures are categorized in five chapters. Um, let's go fly a kite. Adventure is a Wonderful Thing, A Whole New World, Be Our Guest, and When You Wish Upon a Star. And those are all tantalizing uh, chapter titles there. So c- can you tell uh, our listeners, what kind of adventures are in each of these categories? How did you come no, up with these? Thank you. Well, first of all, you know, with National Geographic, they sort of have what we call um, a, you know, a locked layout. If you look at all the books they do, the 100 best of this, or there's a, a system to it. Right. So I didn't get to, I'm just a little bit early to say this, but all my other books, I write till I'm happy. This was, we have this much word count for this one. We have this much word count for that one. So they also, in this formula of the 100 best, have five chapters. So that was the thing I came in with. It wasn't like I could pick all the chapters I wanted. So that's how we started. Next, it was very important to me to have free things. I, you know, I did not want, I actually do not care for the term bucket list and you'll never, I call it a wish list. I actually call the book a wish guide uh, as much as a, a travel guide. Um, but I did not want everything to be something you that had was like unattainable. So there were a lot of free things that was important to me. There were of course things that were going to be the grandest things that maybe none of us will do what we like to read about, but that would be like when you wish upon a star, that's sort of our really our big, big wish list. But in the other four categories, other four, uh, let's go fly a kite for families, um, adventures, a wonderful thing. I mean, they all were just, I had to mush and mold and push them in. And then of course I wanted Disney to be the chapter title. So we came up with, uh, famous songs that would reflect somewhat, yeah. And that, you, I think the reader will find upon it, 
find once upon a time, rah, rah, rah. I think the reader will find when, you know, oh, you know, maybe they're really studying it. Like, I'm not sure that fits in that chapter, but you got to remember, I only had five chapters, so I had to do a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as I read some of the adventures, I thought, oh, that could go in that chapter too. Yes, it could. So, yeah. You say only five chapters, but the listeners can't see the book that Michael held up for a second. It's a gorgeous book and it looks big. It's not like only five chapters, but I have to get that book. Oh, thank yeah. you. I hope you do. Yeah, I will. Are we allowed to call you Panda on air? Because I just yes, pa- that's what they call me. Panda's fine. Well, man, but I am getting that book. Is Amazon the easiest way to get it? Amazon is a great way to get it. Also, depending on if you are a annual pass holder, or uh, then I think at Shop Disney, there's deals when you buy it. Ah, or, good to or know. Disney Plus, I think also there's some. But yes, Amazon is a great way to get it. Thank you. Okay. All right, let's explore some of our favorite Disney adventures from each chapter. I, I chose a few, but Marcy, you might have some favorites of yours. So in chapter one, let's go fly a kite. Okay, actually, it's funny. John and I were talking about this um, before we went on air. One is take a walk down Main Street, USA, because we talked about how it's just, I don't know, we change our whole attitude and our mood and everything changes the minute we cross through the tunnel, cross under the tunnel, and we walk out in the town square on Main Street and we hear that music. And for me, it's like every care in the world just drops from my shoulders and I'm in my happy place. And John was saying the same thing. And I thought, what a wonderful way to start out the adventure book. Well, think, I mean, I think that that speaks to what I was talking about earlier. Of course, one has to have admission to be able to walk down Main Street, but it is something that's very attainable because I wanted it to be everything from achievable to aspirational, by the way. So this was very, very achievable, and it represents Walt. And I haven't been to all the Main Street USAs or Mickey Avenues in the world, but you know, I could research them and write about them as a seminal experience that one has, and you're right, for the, all the reasons of capturing those feelings that we all get, and also for the nostalgia that was near and dear to all. Mm-hmm. And um, a- another one that takes place in the same area, and this was Celebrate America. And I, this one is a favorite of mine because I, I chose this one to talk about because I think a lot of people might not even know this takes place at the Magic Kingdom and at Disneyland and its connection back to Walt. It is one of my favorites too. So thank you for selecting it as something that we could talk about today. Absolutely positively. It's the flag retreat. And I consider that an e-ticket attraction that so many people don't know about. Walt instituted the tradition on opening day in 1955, whenever he was in the park, he mostly watched it, as I understand from his daughter, from his apartment, tears flowing down his face. He was a fierce, fierce patriot. And so at, there's slightly different ceremonies, both parks. Just check your guide to find out when it happens. At Disneyland, they play the music for each branch of service, and they invite veterans, active service um to come on up and encircle the flagpole. And depending on the day, the Dapper Dans are there, the Disneyland band at Disneyland. And it's an incredibly emotional experience. And I also encourage the reader to bring their kids. Doesn't matter what age, there is an impression. It's impossible not to feel the power of America when you're attending the flag retreat at either park. 
Mm-hmm. One of my most moving moments was when we brought my son, who was at active Navy at the time, and our granddaughter there. And my wife and I brought him, and we insisted on going to the flag retreat ceremony. And Cherry was shy, our son, about participating and said, no, this is going to mean something to your daughter. And it just meant so much to all of us when, you're right, when they played the Navy um the, the Navy um, song emblem anchors away. And, and he went up there and joined and saluted. And then at the end, when everybody claps for them, it's very moving. Um, it really is. Especially when you see our, the older members who yes. served in the wars and all that there being recognized. And at Disneyland, we have someone who's in security called Gunny, who is an institution at Disneyland who participates in the flag ceremony. Well, you know, he's, he's retired now, so Gunny mm-hmm. hasn't been there for a few years. But, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, Gunny is. Gunny is a dear friend. I consider him a dear friend. Mm-hmm. However, he is now doing it at Walt's Barn, which we'll talk about, doing the flag retreat there. So you're right, though. Hats uh-huh. off to Gunny. He was somebody that was a big part of going was when Gunny was that, there. Was well, that explains why I haven't seen him the last few times. I just figured I was. Uh, he just Missed wasn't working day. that day. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, okay. Thank you. So, well, let's, and then a place, Marcy, you and I have been here many times. We even, I was telling John, we even led a tour together here at one time. And that is the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco. I mean, that's impossible not to include. It's so important. But again, you know, how many people do I, you know, my barometer always as a radio host and as an author is if I don't know about it, probably a lot of people don't know about it, you know. And You're I right. So uh, the Walt Disney Family Museum is just a crown jewel in the Disney empire and an incredible way to connect with Walt. And it was founded by Diane Disney Miller, Walt's daughter and um, Walt's grandson, Walter Miller. And there's so many, there's so much to say about this. We don't have time. It's in the Presidio. It's in San Francisco. It covers the span of Walt's life. And what makes this really unique is you get to hear Walt talking and speaking throughout the entire museum, which really is mesmerizing mm-hmm. and I encourage you to go. Yeah. Walt tells his story in his own words. <clears throat> you hear him and then you also hear the people who worked with Walt, some who are no longer with us, but you hear them and see them tell the story of working with Walt to bring to life his vision. Yeah. It's just a remarkable place. The first time I can spend a whole day there. I can easily, and I've gone there many times. I can spend eight hours there and still find new things that wow. I haven't discovered before. And then they have their special exhibitions there as well on occasion where they might deep dive into one of the um, animators, one of the nine old men, one of the films or something like that. I mean, it, it's every Disney fan that, that should be on your wish list, too. Yeah, you're making this okay. East Coaster jealous. <laughs> we'll get to your coast there, fan. We will. We Hang will. Okay. I want to go to that museum badly. Oh, it's yeah. wonderful. Let me know when you go, John, because I'll I join will. you. I'll give you a personal tour. You got it. That's worth money. <laughs> uh, so. um, this is the next one is fun and i've done this with friends this is something i try to do i'm so glad you put it in the book because i again this is something i think 
I bet most people who visit Disneyland and Disney California Adventure know nothing about. This is watching the neon lights turn on at dusk in Cars Land. Yeah, I had to have this one. First of all, you're right. I mean, it's not on any guide and it's Mm -hmm. never advertised. So you just, it's dusk at Disney California Adventure, which apparently you can Google when dusk is, and they, they, they stay mm-hmm. pretty close to that time. But just like in the movie, movie when Lightning McQueen is lamenting, you know, that there are no lights, and, and then all of a sudden, shaboom, the lights go on, the music, mm-hmm. and it's as if you were in the movie, which, yes. you know, reminds me of that. It's often told it's lore, but it's often repeated and worth saying again, when the little boy came to Cars Land and he walked through at this point with his dad, and he said, Daddy, is this where they made the movie? Mm-hmm. Because it seems so like you're such an immersive experience, and the the neon lights going on match the movie beautifully. So it is, it. it's amazing. And again, the details you really do feel like you're in that film, especially when you see the actual characters of the film roll out, and you can have your picture taken with them, and they talk, and all that. It is amazing. And you're right; I have heard children say this is where the film was made. <laughs> and all that when I've been there. I mean, Imagineers did a remarkable job. On, on and that's that. my friend, Kathy Magnum, who is executive producer of Cars mm-hmm. Land. So yeah. shout out to Kathy. <laughs> nice. The, the next one, this is on my wish list. And I've always wanted to go here. And that is Marceline and the Walt Disney Hometown Museum. We have to, I could do a whole other show about Marceline and I am going there three times this year to help with a few things. It is, you know, although, you know, your listeners probably very well know it's Walt's hometown, even though he lived there less than five years, Uh, but the Walt Disney Hometown Museum is based mostly on the collection of Walt's little sister, Ruth. And there are some things in there that are like nowhere else in the world. One of my favorites is a recording that Walt made for his parents' anniversary. And he gave a copy to his parents. He gave a copy to Roy and he held a copy. There's only three copies in the world. And you talk about hearing Walt. This was a very candid kind of interview. I don't want to give it away with his parents. And so when uh, his parents passed away, the copy of the record went to his sister and her sister, Ruth, donated it to the museum. There's also the original Main Street USA, Coca-Cola Corner, the Zercher Building, so many homages, Uptown Theater that looks just like the Main Street Cinema. So Marceline is very special. But I will give you a little scoop, only for your listeners. Mm -hmm. On... September 16th is going to be the Walt Disney Hometown Museum's gala event. I went to it a few years ago. They do it beautifully. So keep watching their website for details about that. And then I am going to be doing a book signing in an event on July 3rd at Walt Disney's Hometown Museum. We're hoping a few other special guests. I don't want to name them because I don't want to make them feel obligated, but some very people that would really be exciting to meet will also be there. My friend, Tanya McKnight Norris, who's uh, on the World's Fair, uh, excuse me, went with Walt to the World's Fair and designed Club 33 and uh, decorated the Haunted Mansion and Mm -hmm. did the original iconic purple wallpaper will be there with me for sure. She's confirmed. So that being that, you know, that goes back to the, you know, the kiss goodnight and the fireworks that Walt saw as a little guy in Marceline is why we have what he called the kiss goodnight, a present to his guests when they leave the park. Um, all the parks have fireworks. And so I'm going to see the fireworks. I'm going to do 4th of July, the way Walt Disney did it. And anybody can join us. Wow. Wow. Okay. I got to look at my calendar. 
Catania is fascinating. I've heard her speak twice and just a delight. And it has so much Disney history knowledge is amazing. So, and she, nobody knew about her until a few years ago, which is incredible. Yeah. Combination of Tom Morris and Garner Holtz brought her yeah. out of, and, and she's loving it because, you know, no, she, she had a short time. She was there 64 to 71. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a long history with Wed. Um, and then she went and did other remarkable things, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I need to connect you with her. So she can be on your show. Okay. Oh, absolutely. I would love that. Please. The next one, you, it's funny, you brought up A Kiss Goodnight. That is the next thing that I had selected for Adventure is a Wonderful Thing. I always I, I always think of, of, of course, the Sherman Brothers, too, associated with this. But I, um, I love fireworks. And I think Disneyland especially is so magical at night. Even when I was a little boy, that was my favorite time. When the, when the park was lit up, and I don't know why, I still find twinkly white lights and trees magical. Hundred percent. I have twinkly white lights in my office all the time. Yeah, I see them. The holidays are over, but this is like a little bit of getting back to that same sense mm-hmm. that you just described. Uh-huh. Yeah. So anyway, so that's what you have as a kiss. Good night is in in adventure is a wonderful thing. So and that started with Walt, right? And the kiss goodnight was when he had that conversation. Was it with Richard Sherman or well, Robert Sherman? I get uh, Richard Sherman. He, Richard. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that he wanted to give his guests a present, um, and uh, when they were leaving, and that is what the fireworks represent. And the story in the book is when Richard Sherman and his wife Elizabeth were walking out of the park, they ran into Walt and essentially said, paraphrasing here, you know, Walt, those fireworks are great, you know, and they. Every time I see him, I kind of cry. And Walt says, does the same thing to me every time, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's also so emotional. Yeah. Yeah. And then a, a place where um, we've talked on the show, if you really want to connect with Walt, this is the place to go. And that is Walt's barn. This is where you can touch something Walt created and look at it and walk through it. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's in my top, top. Again, this is one that when I tell Tanya McKnight Norris did not know what Walt's barn was. She lives in LA. Mm-hmm. And so when I told her, she was like, what? And then I took her and now she's a volunteer. So if y'all go there oh. on the third Sunday when it's open, it actually was closed at this last one because of the rain. So always check to make sure on Instagram, Twitter, or their website that they're open. Uh, they're only open one day. It's completely operated by volunteers and it is the house, so the home that Walt had on Carrollwood, he built a replica barn that was what he grew up, like what he grew up with on the Disney family farm in Marsling. And he did a lot of things in there. He switched his trains. He built his miniatures. He worked on Disneyland. A lot of people call it the birthplace of Imagineering. I believe Marty Sklari actually gave it that moniker. And you're right, Michael. You go in, the, the benches were built by him. You know, the, the dowling. You, the, you could see the switching that he would use. The phone where he would, Lillian would probably call and say, well, come home, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have this. Combine that used to ride uh, ride on the Disney tracks at the Disneyland Railroad, we got Ollie Johnson's train station, train depot. There's just it's such a rich legacy, and it's really it is about railroading, but it is also about that personal side of Walt that we don't get to see very often. Yeah, yeah, it's just a wonderful place, and you never know who's going to be there. Uh, I mean, because 
I've seen Imagineers there and animators. Lloyd Norman and Dizzy yep. Legend, Bob Gerker are there often. I mean, you uh-huh. have a 50-50 chance of running into them. And you're right, others, other notables just stopping by, you know, it's just, it's, I live in Northern California, but if I lived in Southern California, I'd have that third Sunday of every month, you know, from 11 to three marked off. And as I said, now they've instituted a flag retreat, which is new. And they do that at 2.30. And it is led by our gunny napper who was leading the flag retreat at Disneyland. For oh, that's years. wonderful. I've got to remember that now too. So n- now we're going to, we're going to head into the Pacific with the next one. A little different. Go to Alani, a place I love. And and you talk about a performance in paradise. Well, it's the famous luau. I've been to the Olani, but I've never seen the luau. Now, I have to say, again, this was written in starting at the end at 21 and 22. So we still had a lot of pandemic things. No, Nat Geo did not fly me around the world to experience every adventure. Uh, <laughs> a lot of this I just had to do like everyone else does, watch on YouTube, do research, A to Disney, A to Z, all the reliable sources. So it is a, apparently a spectacular luau with a Mm -hmm. lot of Hawaiian history, a three course meal that is very locally based. And it is something, you know, you're at the Olani, which we can go on and on about. And Joe Rody's tremendous, um, Mm. tremendous achievement building, building the Olani. But that is just, I wanted to get the Olani in there, obviously. And that's one of the ways there's several entries for the Olani, but that's one of the ones. The other one is the free one, which I love, which is, you know, the going around. I can never say the Mahayuni, finding the little mischievous people. They have several ones like that in the other parks. And I love that. And you don't even, yeah. So go to the Olani, go. And I think the Luau is the seminal performance experience at the Olani. And that is why Mm -hmm. it was incredible. Yeah. Carol and I went to that and, um, when we went to the Ilani years ago, and it, it's wonderful. It's so much fun. And it's so authentically Hawaiian. I mean, everything about that place. And it is like going to a museum yeah. or, or, or an art gallery because of all the wonderful um, native Hawaiian art that is throughout the whole resort. I mean, yeah, it's absolutely it's, wonderful. Yeah, it is exceptional. I agree. It's an exceptional mm-hmm. place. Yeah. And, and, do- and like we, oh, go ahead, Marcy. And do look, if you are an annual pass holder, sometimes it's only Walt Disney World annual pass holders that changes, but always go check the website because they, I have found deals for pass holders and discounts and also for people that are subscribers to Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. So don't miss those opportunities too. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah, I got into a really great discussion on like Hawaiian history from the, um, the, the cast members in one of the gift shops. And, and because they are, they all are, they're native Hawaiians and they're, they all are very well versed. And it, I don't know, I said something, I asked them a question about, I think some of the art that was in the gift shop itself that was part of the, um, part of the shop. And we just started to get into a discussion on Hawaii itself and all that. And it was fascinating. There's so, tremendous respect and reverence for the culture, and that's what yes. Joe wrote is all about. He lived in Hawaii, he, and I think that the you know that's a whole deep dive. I don't even know. Maybe there is a book about Alani, but it's it would be worthy of its own small mm-hmm. say small and be worthy of its own book because of the in, incredible integrity with which it was built and sense of place and sense of culture. Yeah, yeah. I'm going there this spring with friends. It was a delayed trip due to COVID, so I'm looking forward to going back. Okay. So. All right. Well, of course, since it's connecting with Walt, we have to talk about uh, another um, 
section you have here where, well, it's an, it's an adventure. Walt's early years in Los Angeles. I mean, we had to have it. And that was one that, again, thank you to National Geographic, because when I'm talking about these places, most of them are extinct, right? I mean, like, you know, so, but if you want to understand Walt Go, so that one of the ones I'm really excited, I mean, excited about all of them, but when in, in 1923, the reason we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of Walt Disney Company is when Walt came bankrupt from Kansas City to L.A. And he went and lived with and rented a room from his Uncle Robert in Kingswell. That home now is in the conservat- conservat- conservatory of Los Angeles. I think it's a historical landmark. And it is owned by Joanna Miller, Walt's granddaughter. And she and her sons, Nick and Sebastian, have been renovating it and restoring it. And I had a private tour of it a few months ago. It's exquisite. There's not going to be private inside tours. You may occasionally maybe see an event there, a small one, I don't know. But it's going to be worth driving by. And then also when Walt was there, he rented Uncle Robert's garage. And that's where the first Disney Brothers cartoon studio was. He used scrap lumber to build his animation stand and made the movies. The real garage the one that he worked in is a wonder to see. And that's near Disneyland at the Stanley ranch. And it also like Walt's barn, much smaller scale, but you can see and touch the things that Walt built and just oozing, oozing with history. Now, Joanna is also building an exact replica to that garage and you will be able to see it across the street. Of course, you can go to the Walt Disney studios that exist now that was uh, opened in 1940. You can go to Gelson's mm-hmm. <laughs> where Hyperion Studios were where Snow White Seven Dwarfs was made. So yes, I felt that it was really important. And that's a really fun small pilgrimage because you're just basically Los Feliz Atwater Village area and kind of move all around. And I did not include things, by the way, like the Lyric Houses, the homes that Walt and Roy had. And I see it on a lot of people's internet lists. I'm like, those are private homes. You yeah. know, I'm not sending people there. Same with Woking Way, which I've had the privilege of being in several times. That is a private home. You don't drive up that driveway and look, looky-loo. So mm-hmm. I only included things that I felt was appropriate for a fan like myself to go, even if it's just a drive-by. Yeah, yeah. Um, on another episode, Mary Jo Mulata Willie had a uh, – she has a whole – and it, it, we have it. We have it on in the show notes for that episode. She has a whole drive around L.A. of, like, Walt uh, – of history <clears throat> of places that are important to Walt – and it's really fascinating. A number of listeners have ta- uh, taken that drive, and it's a, it's a full day. And, yeah. and and also you go by places like the the Walt Disney Symphony Hall and and things like that as well. So um, something I mean to do someday. So, and then on one seventy two. Okay, this at, I I added this for a couple reasons. One is because of course, as you meant, as you write in the book, how much Walt loved to travel. And Walt was a conservationist. But at Walt Disney World, my favorite park is Animal Kingdom. Me too. It's going to be the Magic Kingdom. I'm like, with all due respect, I have Disneyland. Disneyland so. is my favorite Magic Kingdom <laughs> too. But, uh, yeah, no, I love, but, love, love it, Animal Kingdom. And you talk about, and again, I think a lot of people may not know, you, you, it's called the Mighty King of Safaris. I don't think they know about a lot of these tours. And I've taken a couple of them that are that are available at Animal Kingdom. We can get up a little more up close and personal with yeah, the animals. 
I wish I could have actually participated in these. Again, it was during COVID, but Walt Disney World was way open. So I was able to go to Walt Disney World and do a lot of research for four days, including spending a half a day with Kyle. um, And he runs ASE, Animal Science and Environment. And he told me about a lot of things that I did not know existed. And I could not tour at the time. Of course, we have the Kilimanjaro safaris in the park, but there's the Wild Africa Trek, which is another thing you could buy buy Mm -hmm. into. But the, the ones that kind of, move me hearing about them. And then the minute they became available, it was in close, it was April of last year was my birthday and 60 days out at midnight or whatever time I set my clock nine, my time midnight in uh, Florida, I booked up close with rhinos and caring for elephants, um, caring for giants, Caring for Giants, you get taken on backstage and there's a separate platform completely on the other side of the savannah from where the safari cars, trucks go through. You get to spend a lot of time and the, the, the elephants kind of know they're backstage too, if you know what I mean. They know they're not, there's a lot of people. So it's just a mystical opportunity to get really close to the elephants and have time just watching them without, you know, just driving along. The other one is up close with Rhino. So I went and did that. And you get to go in the enclosure with the rhinos. They are behind a gate. I've got to watch them eat. They have their teeth brushed. Um, the other thing that was so important to me, I mean, of course, Walt's true life adventures, you know, very important to him. And this, also, this entire park is a reflection of that. But the, the efforts for conservation that Disney does are so incredible that I did not know about the depths. One of them is the white rhinos, I believe it's the white rhinos, are so endangered. There's like three or four left in the world. So Disney is paying for um, surrogacy. So to take babies, put them in other rhinos, black rhinos to, I hope I have the black and white. I'm sorry. It's been a few months since I've mixed up. If I have the endangered one mixed up, don't sue me. Uh, no cards and letters to connecting with Walt. Uh, but, they, <laughs> so they're, but they're doing in vitro and they're doing surrogacy so that they can repopulate the endangered population of these rhinos and that's just like one tiny thing that they do uh, when you go to tiffin's you know they have the snow leopard if you buy the snow leopard cop you know cocktail then they give a donation to save the snow leopards there's so much concentration on doing the right thing something that walt was doing in his lifetime to save the animals and save the environment that's going on backstage you can't believe it i can't go into it anymore or it would be another show. so next yeah no that is great that is great <laughs> But um, now we're going into chapter three, a whole new world. And we're, and this is like global, global uh, uh, treks. But of course, we're going to start close to home somewhat. Walt Disney's birthplace. Again, a lot of people may not know, but when I tell people about this, they are absolutely shocked to hear about it. That's also privately owned. It's on Trip Avenue in Chicago. It's the home that his parents, Elias and Flora, built themselves, designed and built themselves where Walt was born. And it is being caretaked by a wonderful couple, and they're doing it at a pace they can do. So as far as I know, at this recording, it is not open to the public yet. Again, you can drive by it. You can support it by buying pavers and come visit your paver one day. But ultimately, it will be open for tours, and it will be education will be a big part of it. And so, yes, it's very important. Go to Chicago and go to Walt's birthplace. Mm-hmm. Or, if, yeah, or if you're and, in Chicago, go to Walt's birthplace. Yeah, because Walt was born in the second floor yep. bedroom there. 
He was, you know, that's interesting. His the one of the trains he took, um, the Southwest Chief. It goes from Chicago to L.A. It does not go L.A. to Chicago for whatever reason. So that's on my list to do. That you know, fly to Chicago, see Walt's. I haven't seen Walt's birthplace in person yet, and then take the train back to L.A. Oh, see, I want to take. I want to do that, but take the California Zephyr. Yeah, that's back, beautiful. So I can do Sacramento. That's that's yeah. one of my wish list things, too. This is another one on my wish list. Walt and Lillian loved cruising because they like to go to Europe, and that's how you had to do it. I know Walt. I think I read Walt liked to go to Europe because it's where he could go and nobody would recognize him, and he could just travel and be a tourist and relax. But you have cruise and a Disney history, and this this is something I want to do: a river cruise in Europe. You know, there's a couple of them. There's the Seine and the mm-hmm. and the um, the Rhine, and all of them, both of them have homages or places that Walt went that you can be walking in his footsteps. The Rhine cruise has really some huge things. That's a Black Forest, which was one of the inspirations scenically for Beauty and the Beast. The Matterhorn, which of course we don't need to go any further. Tivoli Gardens, really huge influence on Walt, and then one of my favorite stories. Uh, that's in Walt's Disneyland, is about the It's a Small World facade. When Walt, 1935, was in Strasbourg, France, he saw the astronomical clock and he was besotted with the animated figures moving around. So he started sketching them and all that. And then he asked for permission to climb the tower to see how it worked. This is a massive, massive installation. Permission denied. He was not allowed to climb. (laughs) But, you know, Roy said himself, you might recognize that clock. It's a Disneyland and it's a small world. So when they brought the attraction from the World's Fair and they put a Disneyland and they needed a facade, that is why we have that clock. Uh, Because with the figures moving, and it's interesting, Roly Crump told me that when the first design was done, there was only 12 figures. And Walt said, don't you know how many hours there are in the day? You know, so they added 24. And Walt famously quipped, you know, there's a lot quicker ways to find the correct time, but, you know, they're not as fun as that clock. So, yes, these Adventure by Disney cruises have, whether both of those river cruises, both will give you some great Walt history opportunities. I want to do a river cruise to the Christmas markets. Oh, me too. I thought that would be wonderful to do but speaking of uh, along the same theme we were talking about tivoli gardens you have an entry the artist's muse escape to copenhagen denmark on a walt inspired tour yeah that's right forgive me i put tivoli gardens with the uh, river cruises again a little bit been a few few months since i worked on the book yes that is another <laughs> adventure by disney where you do go to tivoli gardens and also see a lot learn a lot about hans christian anderson which of course many of walt's fairy tales are from mr anderson and also there's this very famous homage to the little mermaid statue which is part so again another opportunity to have an adventure and connect with walt Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to circle back. Actually, we're going to go and sort of return close to Walt's barn. And th- this is almost where it all started. The merry-go-round in Griffith Park. There's Yeah, so that is, of course, again, I know I'm talking to your listeners that this is one of the many inspirations for Walt with Disneyland and when he would take his young daughters, Diane and Sharon on daddy's, you know, daddy's day. And he would sit and watch him and inspired him. It is a beautiful merry ground. It's been restored. It's open on the weekends. And I 
you know, you can't help. You can sit on a bench just like Walt did, you know, have your peanuts, watch the merry-go-round, not a carousel. There is a difference. And then if you time it right, which I suggest is that go on that third Sunday, go to the merry-go-round and then go to Walt's barn and you will have one of the most beautific Walt-centric excursions I can think of, especially if you're Disneyland fans. Yeah. Yeah. You can make a day of it. Which is nice. And and the thing is, what's nice about these is that a lot of these are either free or very reasonably priced. Well, a lot of, of the adventures yeah. in your book. Achievable to aspirational. That's my best way to put it. Yeah, mm-hmm. 100%. And also, again, from the very first conversation I had with Nas- National Geographic was, we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Walt Disney Company. There's just... And they never said no to anything I wanted to put in the book. I mean, I could go on and on, including the little sidebars, you know, more from Walt uh, and weaving him throughout the book. You know, it's an interesting side note of, you know, when you write books like that, they're reviewed by everybody, you know. And I've done my other books were more specific to a category like culinary history with Eat Like Walt or Vintage Disneyland, Walter of Disneyland with Walt's Disneyland. This had over 80 approvers, eight zero. Oh, my gosh. How did it get published? Yeah. Everybody, (laughs) this is an incredible multi-layer team effort. But the importance is the integrity of getting it right. And in my work, which we didn't really talk about, but when you were saying that about the Walt Disney Family Museum and listening to the people that work with Walt, everybody for me is a primary source, no exceptions. They knew Walt. They're not the son of the person that worked there. My dad worked in the model shop or my dad did this. My mom did this. It is primary sources, whether I meet them or I read, you know, their interviews. And one that's on a lot of people's wish list, and this is something I actually got to do. And that is two for one going to a couple of the international parks. Yes, again, another great adventure going to China and Hong Kong. So you get to go to Hong Kong Disneyland and Shanghai Disneyland. Hong Kong, I'm dying to see the new castle. I'm just the uh, magical dreams with the homages to the 13 heroines and princesses and those very unique turrets and spires. So that's something I cannot wait to get back to. I've been to Hong Kong. Um, and then there's also Shanghai Disneyland and, and Pirates of the Caribbean, other attractions that made the book as an experience that you can't miss. But then along with, you know, this is at, you're in China. So of course you're going to go to the Great Wall of China and the Temple of Heaven, the Forbidden City. Uh, and it's just a consummate experience in the Far East. And that I would agree with you, Michael. I would love to do that trip. That would be one that mm-hmm. would be on my list. Yeah, definitely did it. And I remember Carol couldn't go on this trip, but I just remember thinking technology is amazing because I called her on my cell phone from the Great Wall of China. Oh. And that was just amazing. So um, anyway, but yeah, it was a fabulous trip. And both parks are very unique and offer things that are very different from the parks here at home. So... The next one is is be our guest, and well, this is something, and this is all about um, a lot about dining, and the one is, of course, this is something we've probably all done, and that share a meal with Mickey and friends. Well, I just felt like it was important to talk about character dining because there's different character dining experiences around the world, including on cruises and in the resorts at the parks. 
And, you know, I did not know this until I was doing research for recipes and stories from the most magical place on earth that character dining did not originate at Disneyland. It started in 1971 at Walt Disney World at the Polynesian. So character dining took, you know, Walt used to say, you know, we've got our characters and don't you forget it. And he loved, they were walkarounds and all that in his time, but there was not character dining. So yes, make a point. And again, use Disney dining. And if you're a geek, which we probably could all raise our right hand and affirm that we're geeks, uh, then you set your clock for, depending on where you're going, uh, your alarm so that you could book these character dining experiences well, you know, as soon as you can, because they sell out. Yeah. Yeah. It's always fun. Even as an adult, I like character dining. But then a section that I really enjoyed, and that is Eat Like Walt. And (laughs) places that you can go to where Walt ate that still exist. They still exist. And it had to be because, well, it really wasn't because I had the book. It really wasn't. Um, it was another way to do something that is really easy to do. You don't need admission. They're not expensive restaurants and they are where Walt went. And there's several places, but I think the one that everybody has on their list, which list is the Tam O'Shanter. So definitely get to the Tam O'Shanter. And there's a list of other places that you can go that Walt went to. Enjoy. Yeah, Pink's Hot Dogs, which I've had. I had it at Universal, ironically. Pink's, <laughs> and, uh, plain, plain hot dog with strawberry soda. Yeah. And, and I've not been to the Smokehouse, so that's one, or Clifton, so those are ones. Yeah, I'll the try. Smokehouse, you know, there's no, here's the thing there's no, we don't have a photograph or a desk diary, because I've been, thanks to the, my friends at the Walt Disney Archives, I've had the opportunity to look through all of Walt's desk diaries. They also gave me an exhaustive list of everywhere that Walt ate for lunch when he didn't eat at the studio. So I've never seen any empirical proof that the smokehouse was one, but yet everybody that is at the smokehouse who is of age says he went there. And it certainly feels like his kind of restaurant, you know, because it's dark, has really good cold cocktails, and, you know, very simple food, steaks, ribs, that type mm-hmm. of food. Mm-hmm. So go. But really, Tam Shanter is probably the number one. Yeah, absolutely. And and look at the artwork on the walls when oh, yeah, you go there in the photographs. John Hench, yeah. Another yeah, show. Yeah. Now, this one caught my eye. Disney like an adult. <laughs> this is one, you know, when you're sitting in these meetings with Nat Geo on Zoom and it said, well, you know, we should do Disney adulting. Again, they don't know. I'm like, well, that's a hashtag. That's a thing. Well, what's it? Because it is, you know, I mean, one, going without kids, whether it be because you can go on the attractions, you don't have to worry about the height limits or anything else. Even with Ride Swap, which I talk about briefly with Ride Swap, you know, if your listeners don't know it, one parent, you get to the front of the line, one parent gets in Big Thunder, and then the kid stays with one, you know, if the kid doesn't want to ride, and the parent gets off, and the next parent gets, and you do not have to wait in line twice. But really what I meant with Disney adulting is adult beverages. So I talk about, again, you can't put everything in this book. I mean, it was so... I mean, I had alluded to or spoke about word counts. There's word counts. There's space issues. It wasn't like my normal books where I could go on and on and on a list. So I had to pick the top hits. And then I didn't necessarily go to all of them. But I felt, you know, I did my research and I picked which I thought were some of the most fun places to imbibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well there, and there's a couple in there that are my favorites in there. Yes, a beautiful restaurant that I've been fortunate enough to go to at Disneyland Paris that everybody listening to this show would enjoy so much. You have in your book, Waltz, an American restaurant. 
And that, you know, thanks to Eddie Sato, who is one of the Imagineers and designers of that restaurant, I was able to go to Disneyland Paris just a few months ago. So what was the menu at Walt's restaurant a couple of years ago is completely different. They reimagined it for the 30th anniversary of Disneyland Paris. And it is so great. I mean, I have to say I was very, I remain very honored that at the Crystal Palace at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, there is a Walt's favorite menu. There's like 20 things you can order, several things they consulted with me, Eat Like Waltz, several things from the book, recipes. Also, the chefs did an amazing job reimagining Walt-type foods and bringing them to the 21st century. Like at Crystal Palace, they have butterscotch pudding with caramel popcorn, which I think, you know, knowing how much Walt loved butterscotch, brilliant. Well, Walt's restaurant at Disneyland Paris is the elegant version of that. They have deconstructed chili and, it's, and they have a chili can that's made out of a cera- white ceramic. Uh, it's just it's exceptional and you're right the rooms are themed to the different lands and to there's a nautilus room it's just oozing with walt and the, i I, can't, I just i give a 10 out of 10 to that new menu that was developed for the 30th anniversary it is absolutely as close to walt again reimagined as i can as i can imagine and delicious yeah, so. yeah if if you are going to disneyland paris try to get a reservation yeah. And walk up. Do you walk up? They don't use the same app system with, you know, but mm-hmm. walk up and talk to the person. That's how I got in. Yeah. I miss out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's on the second floor. So you get a great view of Main Street USA as well on there. And then this one was just fun. Epic Eats, because everybody has their favorite must have treats when they go to a Disney park. And you listed a lot in here. <laughs> Now, I mean, it's, I don't even know where to go with that because it's too many and that's the fun. I just think that everything tastes great at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. You know, it just does. And, but I, the, the one thing that I'm going to share, the, the corn dog, um, back to Disneyland, our home park mm-hmm. that is in a little red wagon outside the plaza Inn. that is an homage to uh, Swift's red wagon Inn that ran the plaza Inn space from 1955 to 65. Walt had these very clever, contracts that were gone in 10 years. He took it over. He built his restaurant, which is the Plaza Inn. But that little red wagon is an icon for Swift's. The thing that makes those hot dog, corn dogs special is the designated frying oil. The only thing they make at the little red wagon is corn dogs. So if you go over to the stage door, nice place, right next to Golden Nugget, yeah, Golden Horseshoe, excuse me, you walk in with your corn But that corn dog is being cooked. Same oil as the French fries, the same oil as fish sticks, whatever they're cooking. So it makes it exceptional. Also, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Jonathan Gould said that those corn dogs from the Little Red Wagon were the best corn dog in the world. So go get a corn dog. And now they have mobile order if you like mobile yes. order. I, do. So. I, I mobile order it at it because it's always a shorter wait than the line there. Disneylanders have not taken to mobile ordering the way they have at Walt Disney World. I'm going to say this over and over again. That's another show. I, I, it really is. I agree. It's hard. It's just, I have more friends and at Walt Disney World too. I'm not going to name names, but Imagineers of, you know, who went, I did an event with them. I'm like, you mean I can't go up and order? But part of that again was the pandemic, right? Removing the sandwich boards, mm-hmm. so people gather, you know, people didn't understand you could go in and order, but you had to ask a cast member to do that. You could walk in, you might have to wait. I, Yeah. But I, I'm a fan of mobile ordering, and my go-to is the garden, the garden wrap, Ronto wrap. I love it. Oh, just, yes. 
I like that, that too. That and bagel barbecue for the veggie skewers. Mm-hmm. Those are like vegetarian, but I'm on the plant slant. So anyway, we could go anyway, on and on. I always have to have a corn dog at the red wagon, little red wagon. Okay, finally, these are the big ones. These are the bucket list items. When you wish upon a star. This one, go castle hopping. That might be my number one. I've done a lot of interviews for this book. And mm-hmm. getting ready to do a lot of interviews now that we're in the 100th anniversary. About to embark on the 100th anniversary. And yeah, to go see all six castles and to see all the parks would be a dream. I have been to Hong Kong. I haven't seen the new castle. As I said, I have not been to Shanghai. I have not been to the parks in Tokyo. So I'm halfway there. Yeah, uh, I have. Yeah. I've been very fortunate. I've been to all of them. So, oh, I'm very jealous, but you know, it's on my wish list. Yeah. But you know, some of the, they're all, well, you know, it's good though that you haven't been because they're all expanding so much at international parks with all those new lands that yeah. when you do get to go, hopefully they'll all be open and you'll get to see yeah. them. And Disneyland Paris, you know, of the ones I've seen, that Sleeping Beauty Castle is my favorite. It's and gorgeous. Gorgeous and the Ivandurl trees, and then of course it, it, it underneath the dragon. Underneath, that's one of my entries is the dragon. It was at the time one of the world's largest audio animatronic figures, and and watching it on YouTube and writing about it did not give it justice. Although I think it's a good entry and it's a beautiful photograph, and and I spent a lot of time on those words. But when I went and saw it, I took a video and I sent it to my editor and I said it so deserves to be an adventure. Is the the dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I was going to say with castle hopping, going to jump a little bit here, but you know that at the very end of the book, it was files are being sent to the printer, and Adventures by Disney announces that they're going to do the trip around the world in a private jet uh-huh. and go to all the parks. Yeah, and I'm like, called my editor. I'm like, we have got to squeeze this in. So it's you, know, you might say, why did she only write four sentences about what arguably might be everybody's like. Ultimate, ultimate, when you wish upon a star. But that was because it just came, it was announced so late in the game. The world was opening up. I mean, other things like Hoop de Doo had not reopened. And I would say, again, to my editors at Nat Geo, trust me, Hoop de Doo will, they will not close it. You know, trust mm-hmm. me, Boutique will come back. But they were not open. And there was, you know, so the, the, when I went to press with this, we went to press with this book, there were several things that we didn't, that weren't officially open yeah. yet. But yeah, that's so. And things like this, things like this world trip, around the world trip adventure by Disney, all 12 parks, all, uh, On yeah. a private plane, private jet. Private, only 56 people, yeah. 24 days or 21, yeah, crazy. So. Yeah, it, it's a crazy trip, whirlwind trip. We all looked at that itinerary. Yeah, we all did. <laughs> and it all sold out for, you know, almost immediately. So. Yeah, it it's so is. affordable. We should have just went. It was so cheap. <laughs> oh, then you have Walk in Walt's Footsteps. Well, they've renamed it and they've changed it since then. And mm-hmm. of course, you're going to find things like Kite Tales is no longer, you know, at Animal Kingdom. There are a few things, not many actually, that have since been sunsetted, if you will. But a Walk in Walt's Footsteps at Disneyland is a very beginner way of, you know, again, you get to hear Walt because you're wearing your earphones, of being able to experience Disneyland through. Uh, Walt's eyes and ears, and now it's a Main Street, Walt's Main Street USA tour. Mm-hmm. 
price is considerably higher than it used to be. However, you are guaranteed to finish it in Walt's apartment. And that, that was never a guarantee before. And maybe we'd be, you'd get to go up. Not only do you get to finish it in Walt's apartment, you get to go have snacks on his patio where he often would watch the flag retreat or watch the parade. So I think that is just one of the great, really a good way for people who want to learn more about the history of Disneyland and Walt Disney uh, is to do that tour. Yeah. 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 We did the, um, I just recently did the holiday tour and that was a great tour at Disneyland. That's a great one. And the horticultural tour, if they could bring that one back. It is. I talked to them. They're bringing it back. Oh gosh, I can't in 2023. I, I will sign up right away because I took it years ago and it was very short lived. And, um, but I thought that was one of the best tours Disneyland ever offered. Yeah, if they had that one, I would have included it. But it was th- at that point they had no discussion about bringing it back. So yeah, and, yeah. and then similarly, they have something like this at Magic Kingdom, Walt Disney World, Keys to the Kingdom. You know, there is a full day tour which I've been on. It is excellent. So I did include that as an adventure. And then I also had some thought at the you know when you're at Disneyland because of Walt's Disneyland and that's kind of my area of of, of interest. Some of the things if you're going to do a self-guided tour and you can't afford to spend the money or take an entire family on a guided tour, I did include information about, for Disneyland, how to do Walt's Disneyland on your own and a few key things to look for. Yeah, that was very interesting. I I was glad you added that in there. We've we've talked about food and and things, but you included under Delicious Disney some of the more upscale places that you can eat in a Disney park. We have, I mean, there's, I mean, how many, there's so many, but you know, Victorian Alberts is one of the ones I have not, I want them at the chef's table. I, I think that's like being behind, you know, the home plate at a baseball game, you know, mm-hmm. or on the, the sidelines of the Super Bowl. I cannot wait to see it. But yeah, of course, there's many, many elegant dining at white table experiences that we can have at Disney and the food, the quality is so elevated now and the chefs that they are attracting to come cook in the parks. But you know, you think back to Epcot opening, it was pretty radical. I mean, I don't underscore, I underscore those words and I don't, please don't underestimate what it meant for Paul freaking Bacuse to open a restaurant in a theme park. You know, I mean, really, you know, and Bacuse is still there. So that was the beginning, you know, of these incredible chefs uh, being attracted. And now if you don't know their name, they are, really world-class and they are cooking for you. Like Andrew Sutton, who is at Napa Rose at Disneyland um, and, and oversees the entire dining program. I mean, every park has, I can't, I don't want to pick favorites. Those are just a few. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of great places to go to. Um, another one is, and, and I've done this tour at Walt Disney World also has their tours, but the keys to the kingdom you have in here. And I, I've done that one big tour. That's a good one. And I, you know, as I said, you know, I included it because it is an almost all day tour. You get to see the utilitors, you know, and then you just learn so much. And it's, you know, I just recently had breakfast with Bob Penfield. There's only six, they're all men, six men alive that worked with Walt in 1955 at Disneyland. And he's one of them. He has his own book. I highly recommend getting it. Um, and he said to me, everything that we learned or could have improved at Disneyland or learned or could have improved at World's Fair is at Walt Disney World. I love that quote. Um, and I think it's really true. And you learn about a lot of this stuff on that tour. So. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's a great tour. I love to, you go behind the scenes, like at every park, you get to go to the horticultural area where they're making the topiaries. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Really good. You get to go behind the scenes at American Adventure and the Haunted Mansion and all that. They, they really actually is. show you where you stand at the Haunted Mansion so the guests can't see you in, as they pass through the ballroom. I didn't get that one, but that's cool. Yeah, it's really exceptional. It yeah. really is exceptional. That's why it's one of the 100 Disney Adventures of my life. Yeah, definitely. And then finally, this might be maybe the ultimate dining experience. And this is something I'm doing with a group of friends. We are planning this right now. Dine like Disney. Uh, well, you know, I had, I, I'm dying to do it. Dining to do it, too. Right, right, right. And so what was, Walt was planning, Walt and Roy were planning a second apartment in New Orleans Square um, above Pirates of the Caribbean. You can still see the W and the R in gold on the, uh, on the veranda. And this, you know, when they were in New Orleans, that's part of what my friend Tony McKnight Norris was doing. She went to New Orleans with Walt and Lillian and was picking out furniture and everything for this apartment. And sadly, Walt passed away before it could be finished when Roy said it'd be too sad to finish it. And it never was finished as an apartment. Then they were with Dorothea Redmond's incredible sketches on concepts. They were restored for the 50th anniversary of Disneyland, right? The Dream Suites. It's had a lot of different iterations. Now, what is it? It is an opportunity to dine just like Walt would have if it was an apartment in his dining room with gorgeous china, uh, multi-courses, paired with wine. It is the most elegant experience. I mean, it's almost Michelin level. And again, I mean, I don't use that lightly. It is that highly, and I don't particularly care for the word elevated, but highly elevated dining experience you could have but in the footprint, in the place that was intended to be Walt Disney's dining room. I mean, chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's only 12 people. Uh, and so pick 12 of your best friends. <clears throat> I skip lunch for a while and mm-hmm. do it. And you get a gift also as oh, well. And I think you get a couple of things that you get to take with you, which is very nice. And you get to stand you know, and watch Phantasmic, you know, mm-hmm. with, you know, rescues in the park. And I, yeah, dot, yeah. 21 Royal is its name for the address that was at Bolt's apartment. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, these are only a few of the adventures that are in the book. I just selected a few because they, they had a, a really nice connection with Walt. But if you, you talked about that you had a word limit and all that, if you didn't have a word limit, was, was there anything on the wish list that you would have liked to have added to this? Marcy? No, yeah. You know, this isn't an issue of the locked layout um, and my word count. This would be, of things one is was not open at the time. So I wasn't allowed to include it, but it would have been the enchanted tale of beauty and the beast in Tokyo. Um, what an amazing attraction I've watched on YouTube, by the way, again, I didn't get to go around the world. So I watched a lot of these ride throughs like we all do mm-hmm. on YouTube and talked to maybe some of the Imagineers who had something to do with it. And because I hadn't visited it, I wish I'd included Phantom Manor. Now that I've been to Disneyland Paris, and I've seen all the haunted mansions, I think. Um, and because the story is so entirely unique 
and fascinating uh, that I would have included Phantom Manor. And, and by the way, it doesn't mean that it's not done. We very well may do a special edition later where, you know, where the world is open and I can add all the things that I couldn't include. Ah, uh, so that's interesting. We'll see. I mean, you know, that's what Marcy, the author, wants. National Geographic does do updated editions after a few years sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that's like my fingers across. I have no guarantees, but believe me, I have a list. And those are just a few of the things I will be adding. Uh, to that. Okay. So now on your own personal wish list, what's the, what are the couple of things in your book that you haven't experienced that those are the top things? That you want well, definitely the six castles. I mean, I would definitely all trail parks in the six castles. I'd have to say number one. I, it, I, I don't see myself going on the adventure by Disney around the world private jet trip. So you know, I'll pick them off. But I am going to Hong Kong Disneyland next month. Uh, so we'll be able to see the, the the new Castle Magical Dreams. I'm very excited about that, and I'm going with my friend Kathy Magnum, an Imagineer. So it's gonna, you know, you always get a little bit of insight, which is really fun. Uh, and then. You know, honestly, 21 Royal, food-wise, obviously that's a big part of my life. I did a radio show with Guy Fieri for three years. Uh, would be the two food experiences would be 21 Royal that you're doing at Disneyland. And then I would that chef's table uh, in the kitchen at um, Victorian Albert's. Mm-hmm. You, I loved Hong Kong Disneyland. It is such a charming park. And they've done so well at expanding it. And I haven't seen it with the new castle, but, uh, and I went at, uh, Halloween time and, oh boy, do they do Halloween differently than we do. It, they're, they're borderline universal studios, Halloween <laughs> with Disney characters. So, uh, it, it's, it, it was, it was fun, but I think you're going to love that park. So, okay. um, John, what's on, what are some of the things that are on your wish list, Disney wish list? Here. You know, I I have to go to Disneyland and just spend more time. Every time I've been there, only twice, it's been on an Adventures by Disney, and it wasn't enough time. It was like, I think it rained a lot too, and that was a problem. And then I went another time, and we had one day there. It's just not enough. I stood in the Fantasyland. Now, this is somebody that grew up, you know, East Coast. I know Walt Disney World. I had it, I'm 40-something years old at the time, and I did not know Disneyland. And I found myself crying in Fantasyland because it was like I went back in time. And I thought, I need more time to just sit on Alice in Wonderland as many times as I could and rewrite Mr. Toad and Snow White. And uh, It was amazing. So that's that's a big, I know it doesn't sound like a wish list item, but for me it is. I need to spend time in Disneyland. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm getting over a cold, so you hear it in my voice. No, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. You have to let me know when you're there. I will. I give you, will. Give you a S- tour. Simple <laughs> and simple things like the the wicked queen looking out from the window that I remember as a little boy from you know Disney World, which we don't have anymore. Why you get rid of little simple things that bring the area to life? I don't understand. Yeah, but I love it. Yeah, listen, I'm all for it. Go, yes, Disneyland is yeah, an adventure. Absolutely. Many, many, many adventures. I don't know how many of them are in yeah. the book, but. Probably there's probably the easily. next thing I'm doing actually it's in your book and that's the Egypt going down the Nile oh. and all that we were trying to do adventures by Disney with Dreams Unlimited Travel our sponsor it got canceled so many times because of COVID or a social unrest or something like that so now we have planned a cruise in October and we're going to Greece we're going oh, a lot of my wish list places Greece we are going to Egypt. So we will see it, but we're going to Israel for three days, which shall sing the Holy Land is on my wish list. And then we're going to Turkey. 
to Ephesus and then back to Greece. So, and then I'm doing add-ons at Greece so I can see more of that. So that's sort of my next thing to do in here. So, Marcy, can you remind us again, how can our listeners purchase 100 Disney Adventures of a Lifetime? Well, certainly, you know, on Amazon, Target, Walmart, in fact, they're actually sold inside Target stores, which is really super cool. Uh, and of course, Dis- um, Disney books or Shop Disney. And I in the parks. Now, there's one thing briefly we didn't talk about, which is the limited edition. Is, mm. uh, there's a few thousand of those. They're in covered in linen. They have 23 bonus adventures. Some of them are my favorite like Starstruck, which is going to go see all of Walt's three stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, or even, which I just did recently, they're back, the tender rides on the locomotive where you get to Mm -hmm. sit right behind the cab and go to the Grand Circle Tour was exceptional. But the the piece de resistance, you know, so when I said to Natchee of the trilogy, I wanted Adventure by Walt's entries. I'd love Joe Rohde to write the introduction or the foreword. And I have this idea for a map where it would show everywhere that Walt, not everywhere because there's not enough room, but the places in the world that inspired Walt. And then on the backside is a checklist of all the adventures, another map of all the places in the world. So you get that map and you get those bonus adventures in a beautiful edition that's only sold in the parks. It's not sold on Shop Disney. It's not sold um, oh. anywhere else in the parks. They may be adding it back to Shop Disney's, but really it's intended to be. And I was just at Disneyland and, and, let me tell you, if you don't think seeing your book, you know, in World of Disney, <laughs> off page and, and sold, and the regular book is sold there too, uh, on Main Street, USA, that, that, you know, Panda was talking about crying. Well, you should see me. I'm always a heat. <laughs> do, you think so, yeah. the limited, do you think the limited one is available at Walt Disney World? Yes, it's definitely available at Walt Disney World. Okay, I have that to get map, over there. That map is so special. I can't tell you. I mean, oh, I'm so proud great. of it. And, Sarah Mulvaney, who was the artist, you know, you couldn't put everything in there, like Greenfield and, you know, the Henry Ford Museum. You couldn't put every single thing, but it's a great representation of what inspired Walt in the year. It's a beautiful, beautiful poster. So thank you. That's good to know. That's good to know. And so when is 100 Disney Adventures of a Lifetime being made into a Disney Plus series? (laughs) Oh, from your mouth to God's ears or your mouth to Iger's ears. Whoever is running Disney Plus, I mean, that's the dream. Mm-hmm. You'd be, you'd make a great host for that. You, you absolutely would. Thank you, thank you. Both. <laughs> I, I want to television. I just did the behind the, the attraction. You'll see me on the food episode, uh, and it would be. It, I don't know how to put it any other way. That would be the most magical thing ever because I feel like being able to share that and go around the world. Obviously, I mean, to travel, talk about a dream. Uh, but also I would like to bring people with me and ask, you know, I've always kind of wanted to do that anyway, ask celebrities or former imaginers. Can you imagine going with Tony Baxter to want, you know, a few of these, like hearing the backstory, you know, for mm-hmm. big thunder. Um, so yes, nothing that I know of just put the, um, but it would be fantastic. That would be great. Well, maybe somebody's listening, you know, mover know. and shaker there, who, an influencer who can, <laughs> that, you know. So it's a then, treasure trove of material for a, for a series. It oh, really it is. is. It could be and several it's not, seasons. It's that, right? I mean, like I said, I have a list of all the adventures that didn't make the book, whether because they weren't open yet. Of course, the new Arendelle, the new uh, Zootopia, mm-hmm. you know, land. I mean, there's so much all coming online. That it's a sustainable series. Yes. It could keep going. <laughs> I'm going to use that my pitch. It could it's be. Yeah. Absolutely. And, can our listeners follow you on social media? 
they can. I'm not like like one of those people that posts every day, but I am on Instagram. That's my main account at my name, Marcy Character Smothers. I occasionally am on Twitter uh, at Marcy Smothers and no Facebook for me. I gave that up in 2020 and I am. So I'm sorry. I'm not on that platform. Pretty much. That's it. And my website is Marcy Character Smothers.com. And you know, my interviews or, you know, the, the, the highlights of the best articles and et cetera are always on there and information where to get the book, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Terrific. Thank you. And are you working on any projects that you can share with us? You know, I always want to give you guys the tea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I have an NDA on something, but it, when, when it comes, that would, you would say, oh, that's what she meant. Um, and I'll definitely come on when that comes to be. I did have an incredible honor. So for the 100th anniversary, well, two, really, but for the 100th anniversary, there is going to be a special commemorative edition of Walt Disney and American Original. And I was asked to write a prologue. And so I spent a lot of time on that. So there's four commemorative essays. Um, I was also able to be part of the connecting Christopher Miller, Walt's oldest grandson, mm-hmm. grandchild, wrote the introduction. The incomparable, long-term, brilliant Jeff Curdy wrote an essay. And then Rebecca Klein, the director of the Walt Disney Archives, wrote the afterwards. So there's four commemorative essays. I'm one of them. So that I'm so excited for that to come out. And then... I part of the exhibit, the 100th exhibit for the Walt Disney Archives that's opening at the Franklin in Philadelphia soon. I did write for the adventure uh, selection for the exhibit catalog. Those, so those I know. And then, yeah, I'm in discussions with Nat Geo all the time uh, about what to do next. And I have not selected, but whatever it is, it will be involved in Walt. Oh, that's great. What an honor to be do one of the essays for an updated, um, the updated um, biography on Walt, the official biography. I mean, official that's biography. wonderful. It really was. I mean, it just I couldn't believe it, you know. And I, I it, it, initially, I didn't know who else was going to do it because there's only be a few. And so I thought, oh, but I'm sure Rebecca Klein's going to do it. Of course, you know, she's so brilliant, so knowledgeable, um, so appropriate. So I think that from my point of view you know you'll cry if you crying at Disneyland panel then get ready to cry on this one but I did think it was really interesting you know because when when Bob was writing his series after Walt passed away the last entry had talked about that how much he had done with Walt that he'd you know been had lunches over the decades and proud around Disneyland with him but that Walt drew a line he would do anything for the Enterprise. He would do anything for the show, anything for the company, but he drew the line his personal life. And so I found it very ironic that Bob really got to know Walt, the personal man, after he died because of the access that he was given, whether to the all without restriction. And Ron Miller, who said, you know, had a job at the studio, said, "You can write Walt's story the way you see it." So it's pretty. It's just. It. I think it is the best. Uh, biography of Walt and any Disney historian fan should uh, casual or serious. Everyone should read this book at one point in their Mm -hmm. lifetime. That was, I think the very first biography ever read when I, when I was young. So yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Well, and um, yeah, well, that's exciting. Yeah. Definitely let us know when you can uh, talk again. I'm going to the Franklin Institute to see the exhibit in March because I'll be visiting my son and his family in Pennsylvania, so I'm going to Philadelphia first. 
Oh yeah. I can't wait. I don't know if I'm going to get there until later in the summer, but I'm very eager. It's just, it's a, what, and my friend Paula Sigmund Lowry, another amazing historian who Mm -hmm. worked in the archives with Dave Smith had such a big hand in curating it. I'm so proud of her. I mean, there's so many friends that I have working on it. I, uh, I agree. That is, there's so much to look forward to. In conclusion, there is so <laughs> much to look forward to as we're going into celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Walt Disney Company. The things that we know and all that is going to unfold and reveal itself as we go through the year. And any Disney fan, I've got, I've got a front row seat and I'm going to do as much of it as I can. Oh, sounds wonderful. Well, thank you for including us in your 100, uh, 100 year celebration to talk about your book, 100 Disney Adventures of a Lifetime. Well, I always appreciate chatting with you guys. The time flies by and wishing you both a most magical, magical 2023. Thank you. Same to you, Marcy. We look forward to having you back. Oh, you know, Marcy is always a delight to have on the show. And she just... I mean, as somebody who doesn't know her book or anything, what a wonderful, wonderful guest. I'm thrilled that I was here for this so that I could get that book. Yeah. And the book is great because, um, you know, even if you think, you know, I'm never going to go on these big adventures, like, first of all, they're still fun to read about, but there's a ton of things that you can do just as you visit the parks casually. I was amazed by how many I'd already done just by visiting the parks or a couple of things. Oh, you know what? I'm going to do that the next time I go to Walt Disney World or Disneyland or something like that. So there, there's so much of it that is very doable. And then there's the things you put on your dream list or your wish list and all that. that maybe someday you'll get to it. But now it's time for this week in Disney history. Okay, John. Well, you've never done this one before either. This is where where Craig and I would see something that's happening in Disney history this week, and we would just share something that catches our eye and talk about it. So I'll start out, and then then I'll let you um, talk about what you chose. Mine, it goes back to January 28th, 1982, talking about Wally Bogue. Big name Ooh. in Disneyland history. He was the original Pecos Bill at Disneyland. He gave his 39,522nd and last performance at the Golden Horseshoe Review at Disneyland. He, wait, wait, did you say 39,522nd performance? He's in the Guinness wow. Book of World Records for um, the most number of performances in a show. And he's done it, this show, almost continuously since it opened in 1955. And then he went to Walt Disney World when it opened and took the show there for a few years and did it at the, at the um, Diamond Horseshoe and then returned to Disneyland. And he, wow. um, so on this date, January 28th, 1982, there was a party for Wally Bogue with friends, families, and celebrities. Um, after the show, and he was given a lot of gifts and honors, but the biggest honor perhaps he was given was his very own window on Main Street, USA. The next time you go there, if you want to find it, it is above the Carnation Cafe, and it reads, um, Theatrical Agency, Golden Vaudeville Routines, Wally Bogue, Proprietor. And he was also, uh, I saw him many, many, many times. 
when I was a boy and, and a young adult. And he, um, one of the, the things that he's probably most famous for, he would open the show and he'd be a traveling salesman in the first half of the show. And they did little vaudeville routines and songs. And then the second half was basically the telling of um, Pecos Bill from the cartoon short. And for a while at Disneyland, they'd show the cartoon short as sort of an introduction to the show while you were waiting. Because they used to have, they, they used to serve food and they'd bring it to your table. You didn't yeah. have to go up and order it and then go sit down. And, um, but what, so what, and, and so he was known for um, putting a bunch of um, like, beans in his mouth and then they would pretend that he'd got hit in the mouth and he would keep spitting out these beans as if they were his teeth <laughs> and, and he would hit like the symbols of the drummer and he would do and go into the audience and oh it was hilarious and then he'd carry it on throughout the show he would be talking and suddenly there'd be a random tooth would fly out and all that and he was so funny but he also had influences on other um other performers. So when he was performing in London, he brought a 12 year old girl on stage to help with his balloon act. And this girl wowed the crowd with their voice. And so he added this young Julie Andrews to his act. So he Julie. introduced Julie Andrews to the world who, wow. who became of course, very closely associated with Disney. And then years later, a California teen who was um, working at Disneyland uh, in the magic shop on Main Street, USA, he would watch Wally Bogzak's very closely, he would watch his song and dance routines and, and his comedic timing. And he would go on, of course, to become um, Steve Martin, a great comedian yep. and actor and performer, you know, in his own right there. So Wally I Bogue, remember... Yeah. Reading about Wally Bogue in a Ron Schneider book, the original Dreamfinder guy, uh -huh. he was also instrumental with his life. I remember. Yeah, yeah. So really, really a, a, a really just a terrific performer in Disneyland's yeah. history. So, so what do you have for us, John? All right. So January twenty fifth, nineteen sixty one, the seventeenth animated Disney feature, one hundred and one Dalmatians premieres. Ah. I just can't imagine that prior to January 25th, 1961, the world was not aware of Cruella DeVille. <laughs> and then all of a sudden she was let out of the bag and became one of the more you know, popular villains. Yeah, I remember when that came out. When I no, was a little boy. We watched that really? in the theaters. Oh, yeah. So. Did they, they took you to, your parents took you to see it? I think I went with friends. So. Okay, 1961. I'm trying to figure out. I can't. I'm thinking you're, you're tiny. But okay, you went with friends. That's amazing. Uh -huh. Do you remember enjoying it? Like, do you remember if it was an impact on you? I really enjoyed it because I like dogs. So, ah. <laughs> so I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I thought Cruella DeVille was evil. And, you know, um, you know, I liked the song. I loved the song Cruella DeVille. Remember when I Me was too. a little boy? I thought it Me was too. funny. I liked how he taunted her with it. And his wife would um, be... Oh, just stop it, stop it, and all that. So. 
it's amazing how many other characters, like even the Devil Wears Prada, come from, you know, they all have the little Cruella influence mm-hmm. in them. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's very true. So that's, that's a good selection. So, and if people Thank haven't you. seen it, the, I think the animated one is the superior version to all the I agree. other ones that came out afterwards. I so. agree. The, the newest version with Emma Thompson and the, I forgot the other actress's name where they fight it out. Uh, was pretty good, but again, not like you know, it's not legendary original, but it was still. No. I thought it was a good film. No, and I, I just have an issue with the live action remakes where they try to show how the villains were misunderstood or yeah. they were victims. No, they're just. I evil. agree. They're just agree. evil people. I and agree. I don't like. I didn't like s- them down. No, I didn't like seeing Maleficent get kind at I all. I despised Maleficent. I hated it. One of Me the too. greatest Disney villains and that Mark Davis created, and they watered her down completely. And she didn't even turn into the dragon. She wasn't yeah. the one that did it. That was the worst. That was an abomination. I agree. I agree. And I didn't even see the second one. So I, I, I agree. They, they need, the second one was no good at all hmm. to me. Sorry yeah. if you guys are a fan of it, but I didn't like. Now, yeah, I don't like them to was, water it down. Craig said it was better than the first, but I um I didn't care for it at all. Uh, I'm surprised. I thought Craig would would kill that movie. Well, you know we're we're back from a hiatus, and as we mentioned earlier, Craig is is um, doing daddy duty right now. So so um, so, what did you do during your holiday vacation, John? The word duty might be perfect for Craig right now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you those diapers. Uh, uh, you know, and I'm sorry, you're not getting my real voice today because I have what what I call cruise crud. Mm-hmm. It seems to happen every time I go on these wonderful cruises. It's not going to stop me from going on cruises. But I, w- I just came back from a seven-day fantasy where they did the first Pixar Day at Sea. Mm-hmm. And that was it was very nice. I love the way they do the themed cruises, although I don't think they need to have it just be one day. It could be two or three days. And if you don't like the, the offerings, just skip over them because it'll prevent less people waiting in line if they do it more than one day. But it was very nice to see uh, the Pixar characters, the executives from Pixar, uh, Bob Peterson from Pixar, the voice of Doug, the voice of Roz was on board. And that was, oh, Michael, to hear him do always watching and and just see it come right out of him was amazing. (laughs) Absolutely amazing. And how, you know, he wasn't chosen for the voices. He was like the... uh, the sample put in as a placeholder mm-hmm. and they couldn't find anyone. And they said, all right, just, just use the placeholder. And it, these are wonderful, iconic voices that we love. I'm just shocked that he was not the original chosen voice for yeah. any of these voices. He is now, of course. That's interesting. I love hearing those behind the scenes stories. That's it, hearing it from him mm-hmm. was great because he really thought he was doing it as a complete placeholder. Like he, they were never going to use a guy's voice for Roz or, uh, Doug, him going squirrel, which was his idea, and they kept it all, and it was wonderful. So it was nice to hear it from him. Yeah, I'm surprised when it's a seven day cruise that they limit it to one day. This Pixar event, you, you know, I am uh, happy that the executive said when it's Marvel Day at Sea and Star Wars Day at Sea, it's the that they took over the ship, so mm-hmm. it actually supports the one day model that this happened on this day. With Pixar, they are our friends traveling on the cruise with us. 
So there's no reason to have it be just one day. And they are open to the multi-day model. So they are looking at ways to change it up, knowing that, you know, an hour-long line to visit Remy is not what the guests want. Mm-hmm. The guests would rather, you know, 15, 20 minutes, fine. But an hour is a long time, especially when there's so many other characters and they're all an hour. You know, you couldn't do it all. Yeah. So I am hoping they open that up to more than yeah. one day. Yeah, I had a I had a very nice um, vacation, you know, break and all that, you know, seeing family and celebrating. But one of the things I saw was um, the Broadway version of Disney's Frozen the Musical was in town Ooh. in Sacramento. So I braved the storm in order to um, go see it. And I think I've seen just about all the the Disney on Broadway productions. And Frozen the Musical surprised me. It was so well done. Oh, that's so good to hear. It was, the staging was amazing. And the special effects. I forget how many, um, and you want to see this the first time it travels because they pull out all the stops. I forgot how many semi-trucks they said. It was like 20 or something semi-trucks with, with all wow. the sets and all of that. And and it shows. You could see it. It, it was just, literally, it was so magical, the sets, how they created the snow palace and and all of that. I mean, it was beautiful and glittery, but everything about it was really well done. They, you know, they had to add to the story a bit to you know, lengthen it. So you, so there was a little more character development. There were other characters instead of trolls. There were, um, they were more like, Oh, people from the North, the Hill people kind of thing who look like they, they would felt very much at home in, in Tahiti (laughs) someplace. I thought this, this is from the warmer climates of Arendelle and on the um, cruise ship. They keep the trolls. On the cruise ship, they are the trolls. I'm okay. surprised in Broadway they made that change. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then, so then you, so it turns out then that, um, um, oh gosh, the, I want to say Hans, but it's not Hans. Who's the? Christoph. Christoph. Christoph is not adopted by them. He's actually one of them. Oh. So. So that storyline is a little different, but the transformation when 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 she's singing "Let It Go," when Elsa's singing "Let It Go," and she transforms from her gown that she was, you know, in the, from the coronation into the blue glittery ice blue dress, is astonishing, absolutely mm. astonishing. Everybody in the theater went "Whoa!" and then applauded. And she That's was great. still singing. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, they really did a good job with the That's whole great. thing. And, and all the performers were, were excellent, the child performers as well as the adults and all that. So I was really happy um, to see it. When you go on your cruise, which cruise are you going on? It's with Celebrity Cruises. It's not a Disney Oh, cruise. okay. Because ah, I was wondering if you would see Frozen on it. It's on two of their ships, and I just wanted you to make it. Yeah, what did you think? Because you saw the the cruise ship version, and I've heard other people talk about it. What's your thoughts about it? I okay, I've seen Beauty and the Beast on Broadway is my favorite. Beauty and the mm-hmm. Beast on the Disney Dream is my favorite. Comparing it to that, I would say it didn't live quite up to that for me, but it was a nice production. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looked great. 
you know, her transformation, they try to let her hair down and you can see the strings yanking off her clothes, but they do try to make it a big deal. Again, I'm sure it's not the 12 semi trucks on the cruise ship. It's probably, you know, folded cardboard and some projections, but they do a pretty, you know, Disney Cruise Line completely amazes me with the, yes. the, the, the caliber of show that they could put on. Uh, on a cruise ship, but it kind of amazes me, especially since you know they don't have a lot of space back there, and there's three shows that go on that are completely different. Mm-hmm. So, got to well, be a you, space. You uh, and I have been backstage on a Disney oh, that's cruise right. line, so that's we right. have, and I've been it on. I've been on tours back there too that. when they used to do that. So you, you, there's limited space back there, and everything's are hanging, and things are below stage, and yeah, it's crazy, and all that. Yeah, there's got to be some creative origami things going on with, mm-hmm. you know, collapsing these sets that I don't know about. Yeah. And there were a couple like that where collapsing sets, like when Olaf breaks into his, um, his summer thing, they transform the set because they're in a snowy area and then suddenly right, right, right. it transforms into the sunny set. And then it all transforms back when he's done with his song. Really, really amazing. And, um, and then and and it's done. Olaf has performed, you know, like a puppet. Where, same thing. You know, same a thing on the performer behind yep. him doing him. And then and and Sven, who's my favorite character in in Frozen, the reindeer. He, I don't know. I think whoever performs Sven goes to a chiropractor every day. <laughs> it, hunched over. Huh? It is yes. And yes. I don't know how he does it. Um, but God bless. Yeah, well I done. thought of that too. Well done. But that was that was a lot of fun. So if if Frozen the musical comes to your town, I recommend seeing it. It was. A, I will do that. A lot of fun, and all the children enjoyed it. It was funny though because there were a lot of young children, a lot of dads with you know it was Daddy's Day. I went on a Saturday matinee, <laughs> so um, and so. So you could hear like the little chattering, but the minute one of the songs went on that they knew, <laughs> it was quiet in that theater. They it is were not the first the songs. It is not the first time Dad has heard "Let It Go." <laughs> oh no, no, not at all. And a lot of it was cute because a lot of them were dressed up in princess costumes or as Olaf or things like that. So it was really sweet. I have three small nieces ranging from like two years old to six, enamored with Elsa and Anna. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a, that my Christmas was buying as much Elsa and Anna stuff as I possibly could. Oh, that's great. That's great. Those a- are wonderful ages. years, those ages. It really is. Yeah. I'm glad they have that. Yeah, me too. Well, this was fun. So, John, welcome to your your first episode of Connecting with Walt. I hope I you love this. Thank it. you very much. Absolutely. I did very much. Absolutely. So did I. So until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? Well, I do a lot for the Diz, uh, apart from my own YouTube channel, which is bigfatpanda.com. It actually comes from Kung Fu Panda, which is DreamWorks. So I'm really hoping that one day Disney just buys DreamWorks so I don't have to explain that and everybody knows where it comes <laughs> from. But, and then a lot of stuff I do, you can find me on the Diz, the DVC fan, the DCL fan, and of course, right here now, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you, you host the um, Walt Disney World show or flagship show. Yes. Well. What a, what a, what an honor that is to be in that mm-hmm. seat. Let me tell you, I've done like live newscasts and stuff on the national, uh, the you know the, the local television mm-hmm. news, and you think that would be nerve wracking? Nope, 
It's doing the sh- doing the Diz Unplugged show because the, <laughs> the fans are so they're so passionate. They just- are, and they have high expectations. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, God bless them. Yeah. Well, you can send me messages at Michael Bowling at DisneyInfo.com, Twitter at mbowling121. Facebook, Michael Bowling dash connecting with Walt, Instagram, Michael Bowling the Diz, and you can connect with me, Craig, and John on Twitter at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link that will be included in our show notes or disunplug.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. (laughs) 